a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. If you'd like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. I'm just going to read a few verses together. 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Okay, let's pray together and we'll have a look at these verses. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us as we worshipped you. We thank you for uh, the testimony of George from uh, you breaking in and bringing healing to her back on Wednesday. Father, we thank you that you are living and active. And we thank you uh, too, Lord, that you are living and active through your words. And we pray now as we spend these moments looking at it together that we would meet you afresh. Lord, we expect your word to to impact us. We expect it to do us good. We ask that you would speak to us, encourage us, uh, challenge us, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Come and be our teacher, Holy Spirit, that we might meet you afresh this morning. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to focus in on just three verses this morning. Verses 13 to 15 of that passage we read from 1 Peter 3. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I've called the message this morning, saying no to fear. Saying no to fear. And what we've looked at recently, uh, on the recent uh, weeks we've been looking at this passage, we've uh, looked at relationships in the home relationships to the state or to the government uh, and relationships at work. We've looked at relationships in the church. And then Peter goes on to talk about suffering. Now the severe persecution that was coming in later times hadn't 
yet started. But even so, Peter was aware of the persecution that had happened. And he was aware that he needed to prepare his readers, not for just dealing with what was going on, but also significant events that were going to follow in years ahead. And so he starts off there in verse 13 by saying, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Question mark. See, the general expectation is that people won't harm you if you do good. Now, I know there are exceptions to this, but Peter knew there were exceptions to that as well. But generally speaking, people like people who do good. You think about it for a moment. Think about your friends or the people in your office or workplace or on your course. If they're the sort of people who do good, who don't cause division, who don't cause strife, if you maybe have got neighbours like that perhaps, people like them, don't they? They like to be around people like that. But see, Peter's argument doesn't end with that. He goes on, he says in verse 14, "But, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. That's what he says. What does that phrase remind you of, I wonder? Or perhaps, who does that phrase remind you of? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 10? He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're persecuted because of righteousness, if you're persecuted for doing good, if you're persecuted for following Jesus, Jesus says that there is a blessing that comes from that, because of that. Now, let's be clear. I'm not suggesting that you go around looking for trouble, that you go around looking uh, for persecution. That, I would suggest, would be foolish. But if it does come because of righteousness, because of you doing good, because of you following Jesus, Jesus promised something. He promised that he'll be with you. He promised that you'll be blessed because of it. I'm sure many of you would have read uh, biographies or perhaps autobiographies of famous Christians over the years. You could maybe think of a few. Perhaps who have suffered for their faith. And time and time again, you read about God blessing them because of it. Time and time again, you read about God being faithful to them in it. Time and again, you read stories of not them complaining of what happened because they followed Jesus, but rather telling of how God blessed them because they followed Jesus. So you read about people uh, maybe from the Second World War, Corrie Ten Boom and others who would be Uh, famous for standing up for their faith and suffering because of it. Others you might read of, perhaps more recently, uh, from the underground church perhaps in China and have suffered and been in prison because of their faith. And you hear how God has blessed them because of it. It's incredible, isn't it? God is faithful to what he said. And if Jesus has promised something, then he stands true to his words. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. Peter's probably remembering those words as he writes his letter and echoing similar things. But he goes on. He says, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. 
So quite a specific command now, isn't it? It's not just a general idea that you could think about, but Peter's being quite prescriptive here. He's saying, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. So who are they? (laughs) What or whom are they fearing? I wondered as I read this again this week. Well, they, that that Peter's referring to, are people who are not Christians. Peter is making a direct comparison here. He's saying, don't be like them. You're to be different. You don't have to be like them. And you don't have to fear what they fear. You can be different. So what do they fear? Well, often people fear one another. So Peter's saying, don't be like that. You don't have to fear other people. You don't have to fear those circumstances. You don't have to fear that situation. Do not be frightened. You can be different in this, is what Peter's saying. So do you and I need to fear other people? Well, the answer from Scripture is clear. It's no. It's very easy to get into fearing other people, isn't it? Maybe a demanding and difficult boss. Maybe perhaps somebody who just won't leave you alone is always bugging you. Always on the end of a phone, it seems. Maybe it's another situation. Maybe uh, perhaps a difficult neighbour. The fear of man, the fear of other people, can be quite controlling, can't it? It can be really debilitating. (coughs) Peter's saying, you don't have to be like that. You don't have to be like that. You can be different. Do you remember Jesus... Sorry, I'm sorry, do you remember Peter denying Jesus? Get that the right way around. It's quite important at this point. Do you remember Peter denying Jesus three times? So Jesus had said to Peter, the, uh, the brash, the enthusiastic, loud disciple that he was, he said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, no, no way. The others might run away. The others might deny you. I'll never deny you, Lord. Jesus knew what was going to happen. What did he do? Well, Peter denied his Lord three times. And if you read the account in Matthew 26, twice it's to a couple of girls and, uh, and then a, and a group of people. So it's not even Roman soldiers that he denied Jesus to. It isn't even your big centurion with his rather large and imposing spear pointing it at Peter and asking him if he knew Jesus. It's just a servant girl that came up to him and said, Hey, weren't you with him? No, 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 not me, Peter says. Peter feared in that situation. He feared even the servant girl that came up to him and said, Hey, you're with Jesus. And he denied his Lord. And that occasion devastated him, didn't it? He was distraught after that. But Jesus didn't leave him devastated. He didn't leave him distraught. You know the story, don't you? Jesus came to him. Jesus came to Peter, forgave him, restored him. And then when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, Peter was far from timid or frightened or fearful. But who was it on that day of Pentecost that stood up and was preaching to a crowd of over 3,000 people? It's Peter. It's Peter, because Jesus had come to him. The Holy Spirit had empowered him. He wasn't frightened of servant girls or Roman centurions anymore. He was standing up for his lords. 
And he's, Peter makes it really clear here. Do not be frightened. Do not fear. And then he tells us how. He says, by setting apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean? Well, one commentator puts it like this. He says, Peter had lost the fear of men by gaining the fear of the risen Lord. Peter had lost the fear of men by gaining the fear of the risen Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. He says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who's that that Jesus is referring to? Well, it's not Satan. It's not the devil. He's not saying be frightened of him. The only person who can destroy both soul and body is actually God himself. See, the fear of the Lord shouldn't consume us and make us terrified, shouldn't hold us captive, but rather we should have a holy fear of God. And he is God, he is the Lord of all, he is the God of creation. It's right that we should have an awe and a holy fear of him. R.T. France, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, he says, Fear of God is a healthy response of awe and obedience in the face of the Almighty. And he goes on, and one which is positively commended throughout the Bible. It's true, isn't it? Fear of God is a healthy response of awe and obedience in the face of the Almighty. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or the beginning of wisdom. So who'd like knowledge, wisdom? We'd all like that, wouldn't we? Well, the beginning of that is the fear of the Lord. It's putting God in his rightful place. It's acknowledging him for who he is. Actually, it's only God whom we should fear. It doesn't mean that we should cower away from him, but it does mean that we should revere him for who he is. We're not to be fearful of situations, not to be fearful of circumstances, actually not to be fearful of other people. But rather, our fear should be a holy awe and fear of God. Now, you may say to me, Graham, that's all very well you saying that, but listen, you don't know my circumstances. (laughs) You don't know the situation I'm in. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I've got to face when I go home or what I'm going to face tomorrow morning. It's true, I don't. But God does. And and friends, his, his answer to you is the same. Regardless of what your circumstance or situation is, his answer to you is the same. And Peter explains here how you can overcome fear. And it's like this. Firstly, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Picture it like this, if you will. Imagine there's one throne in your life. So in your life, I want you to think about it for a moment. Imagine there's just one throne. So you can picture a throne, can't you, with a king sitting on it. In your life, there is just one throne. A bit like, a bit like this, perhaps. And in your life, there is just one throne, one seat, one space for somebody to be in control. One space there 
for somebody to be sitting on that throne and ruling and reigning in your life. Just one space. So you can only have one thing on it at any one time. Maybe only one person on it at any one time. So my question to you is this. Who is on the throne in your life? Or maybe what is on the throne in your life? Peter says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. What he's saying is, put Jesus on the throne in your life. Because if you've got Jesus sitting there, if you've got Jesus really on the throne in your life, then you can't have fear there as well at the same time. You can't have the person that's giving you grief and uh, causing you problems there at the same time. Yes, they're still, uh, still involved. Yes, yes, they're still in your life. And yes, the situation might still be there and need dealing with, but they're not in control because Jesus is. You can't have them sitting there at the same time. You can't have the person who's giving you uh, an awkward and hard time at work sitting on the throne of your life at the same time as Jesus is. Who is it that's sitting in the throne of your life? What is it that's sitting there? Is it your circumstance? Is it what you're going to go home to? Is it what you face tomorrow morning? Is it your worry about the future? Or is it Jesus? Because if Jesus really is there, if Jesus really is sitting in that throne in your life, if you really have in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, then that's what you need to do. Have that settled. Overcoming fear really is possible. But you have to have that settled to start with. You have to have Jesus in the right place. Not at the margins, not just sort of looking in from the side, not just out at the edges, but you have to have Jesus in his right place in your life. And once you've got that settled, overcoming fear really is possible. And not just possible, but it's what God wants for you. Is there something you're fearful about? Maybe a person you're fearful of. Are you fearful of something happening or maybe not happening? Are you fearful of the future? Whatever the situation, Jesus knows about it. And his answer is the same. Set me apart as Lord. That's what he says. Set me apart as Lord. Give me the throne. Let me take control. So what does it mean? Well, friends, it means that you trust Jesus more than your circumstances. It means that you trust Jesus more than your problem. It means you trust Jesus more than your fear. So who really is in control of your life? Right now, even as you sit here this morning, who's sitting on the throne in your life? Is it Jesus or is it your boss? Is it the economy? Is it your future? Is it your worry about something? Or is it Jesus? Have you really given him that place of authority and kingship in your life? See, overcoming fear is possible. I mean, take Gideon, for example. I I love the story of Gideon. In Judges uh, chapter 6, we find Gideon there. 
And uh, Gideon is uh, one who God uses for defeating the Midianites. And uh, God calls him mighty warrior. Which is an interesting phrase, really, because when we first come across Gideon, we find him hiding in the wine press where he can't be seen by the enemy because he's so scared of them as he's crushing out the grapes to make a little wine. He's hiding, hoping that the Midianites won't see him. So here we have fearful and rather scared Gideon and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, uh, Gideon, mighty warrior. And he's the most unlikely looking mighty warrior that you'll ever come across. But God sees him for who he really is and who he's really going to become. So it's why he's fearful that God comes to him. It's while he's in the wine press that God comes to him and gives him the task that God has got for him, defeating the Midianites. And so a little bit later in the story, Gideon gets the army together and the first count is 32,000 men. 32,000 he's got in his army to defeat the Midianites. So you might think, okay, well, that's a a starting point, isn't it? Then God says to him, Gideon, send those who are frightened, who are fearful, let them go home. Say to the army, guys, if any of you really don't want to be here, if you're just a bit scared about the situation, fearful, you can go. You've got a free pass you can get out, of, get out of here free. Off you go. And so the army is then whittled down from 32,000 to just 10,000. And I can imagine Gideon here thinking, okay, Lord, <laughs> we started off with 32,000. Uh, now you've left me with 10,000. is isn't looking so good. This is less than a third. Um, but okay, your God, we'll, we'll see where we go from here. But God hasn't finished yet you know the story, you'll know that then God says it's still too big. There's still too many. And he whittles the army down again to just 300. So from 32,000, Gideon was a bit fearful at that, he's now just got 300 men in his army. Like Gideon is a classic example of someone who moves from fear to faith. From fear to to faith because God has spoken to him and he takes God at his word and if you know the story you know how God uses Gideon and this small army of just 300 to defeat the Midianites Gideon made that journey from fear to faith I wonder have you made that journey or do you need to make that journey perhaps this morning Secondly, after setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart, secondly, you allow the Holy Spirit to come to you and bring you confidence and faith. Maybe it's a particular situation you're facing, maybe a circumstance that's arising. Once you've set Christ apart as Lord, and you must do that first, you have to do that to start with, then you can ask the Holy Spirit to come to you. In Acts 4, Luke describes the courage of Peter and John. Peter has gone from one who is fearful, 
afraid of even a servant girl, recognising him as somebody who is with Jesus, to somebody who Luke describes as courageous. What happened? What's the difference? Holy Spirit came to him. Holy Spirit came to him and brought him courage. I wonder this morning, has the Holy Spirit come to you and brought you courage? Or maybe do you need him to come to you and bring you courage this morning? He comes to bring courage even in tremendously difficult times and circumstances. Like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, first Christian martyr. But the Holy Spirit came to him to bring him courage to stand to stand for his Lord and to die for him. But the Holy Spirit also comes to bring us courage to witness, courage to speak for Jesus, courage not to be afraid when somebody says to us, hey, aren't aren't you a Christian? Didn't I see you going to church on Sunday? The second half of verse 15, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This instruction assumes something. It assumes, firstly, you have hope. So do you have hope this morning? Do you have hope? In the midst of turmoil, do you know God's peace? Have you got hope? Maybe you're not even a Christian here this morning. Or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian or not here this morning. Well, that's fine. I'm thrilled you're here. Thank you for coming. But this passage applies to you too. Because... If you don't have hope, if you think, actually, I'm not sure that I do, I'm not sure that I have got peace, then this morning God wants to come to you. He wants to bring you hope, bring you peace, bring you forgiveness, bring you love and acceptance, bring you joy, maybe for the very first time. Maybe for the very first time. Because all these things are found in Jesus Christ and in the relationship with him. Jesus wants to bring you hope, bring you peace. He wants you to experience forgiveness. He wants you to be able to to give others as well. He wants you to know real, unconditional love. He has accepted you. He really has. And if you don't know that this morning, then I want to encourage you, please don't leave without finding out more about that. If you came with somebody, maybe speak to them, ask them. Maybe come and speak to me afterwards. You can make a response to God's love for you this morning. Your life may never be the same again. You could leave, out, leave this room through those doors different to how you came in. Jesus invites you to a relationship with him this morning. And he's done everything possible, everything necessary rather, to make it possible. Everything necessary everything that's been required. But maybe you already know and love Jesus this morning, as I guess many of you do. But maybe you just seem to have lost hope. Maybe your circumstances have overtaken you. Maybe the situation that you find yourself in is worse than you imagined. Well, friends, I believe Jesus wants to come and restore hope this morning. I believe he wants to do that. Must to come and bring fresh hope this morning to you. And if you already know that hope and already living in the good of it, as I hope you are, are you, as Peter says, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you prepared? Can you do that? Do you know what to say? Or are you a bit fearful and afraid in that situation? Well, we've looked at this before on a Sunday. I'm not going to spend time on it now. We're out out of time. But let me just say this. Practice telling your story. Practice giving that answer for the reason that you have hope. For the reason that you have hope. Practice explaining the gospel message. Practice explaining the message of God's love. Practice telling your story as well. And make sure you can do both of those things without using loads of Christian jargon. Your friend does not want to know that you were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Now that might be true theologically, and if you've been a Christian for a length of time, you might think, yeah, I can understand what that means. I've read something like that in the Bible. But listen, for the person who's just hearing the first explanation of what it means to be a Christian, you have just confused them completely. So learn how to explain the Christian message without using jargon. Lose the jargon by thinking through what you would say. Gain some confidence by practicing it. By practicing it. And look for an opportunity by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you. Peter's letter, as we wrap up, is one that is full of hope. Christians over the centuries have been encouraged by Peter's letter when they've found themselves in difficult and trying situations, circumstances that have almost overtaken them, Peter's letter comes to bring hope and remind them of God's faithfulness. I want to urge you, let this letter do you some good this morning. Allow God's word to permeate your defences, to get through to where it's needed most. And allow the Holy Spirit to come to you and to help you make Jesus Lord of your life. To ensure that he's the one that's sitting on the throne of your life. To make sure you set him apart as Lord of your life. Can we stand together? Can the band come back, guys? We want us to worship Jesus together. And a few things that I felt God speak to me about this week that I want us to pray for, and maybe this will apply to you. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll, I'll bring these things I feel God's put on my heart, and we'll give some space and time to allow God to minister to us, okay? I'm going to start applying that, that's great. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I want to pray this morning, Father, for each of us that we would set you apart as Lord of our lives. Father, I want to pray for each of us here this morning that you would be the one who sits on the throne of our life. That, Lord Jesus, you would be the one who is in control. Lord, we wouldn't allow circumstances or fear or situations to sit on the throne of our lives. But, Lord Jesus, we would give that space exclusively to you, allow you the rightful place in our lives. And Lord, as we do that, even afresh this morning, I pray, Lord God, that you would have the right place in our lives and that fear and circumstances and worry would be kicked into touch 
as you are set apart as Lord of our lives. Lord, I pray you'd help us with it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to trust you more than our circumstances. Help us to trust you more than our fear or our situations. Help us to trust you with our future. Help us to trust you with our past. Help us, Lord, to trust you with our presence. And Lord, I pray for any this morning who would need to respond to some of these things. I pray for courage in their hearts to respond and to allow you to be Lord of their lives. Ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday.